Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. Today, we are offering five conversations from episode 40, our review of last week's Paris Nash conference, plus from the vault, our most downloaded conversation ever, which comes from Paris Nash 2021. This conversation starts with questions from Laurent Costello from Jorn Schottenberg and Louise Campbell about his comments on NITs. Jorn concurs with Laurent's statements on the value of BIP4, particularly if the provider conducts sequential tests. Louise asks whether we are looking solely at liver disease in these situations, given the high levels of non-liver mortality among patients with F1 through F3 fibrosis levels. Laurent notes that the primary purpose of testing so far has been to identify F3 and F4 NASH, but that more recent methods such as FAST, MAST, METHIB, and MOSIF, which we discussed two weeks ago, seek to define disease stages earlier on with greater specificity. He then goes on to discuss the importance of context of screening on test performance, noting that in high prevalence populations, you'll have a larger percentage of false positives. Thus, he notes, FIB4 works well as initial screening in a largely negative population, but has less value in a disease-enriched population, for example, clinical trial screening. Along with NASHTAG, Paris NASH is one of two famously small, famously science-based, publicly available events every year. We cannot really cover the entire meeting in a single wrap-up episode. Frankly, we've never been able to do so. But this conversation neatly captures some of the key dynamics in the meeting, and particularly ones around NITs. It's a lot to digest, and frankly, I had to chew on it multiple times before I wrote our summaries. So sit back, listen, learn, enjoy, and when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Jaren Schattenberg. Thank you, Laurent. Uh, nicely revisited. And again, there were a couple of um, workshops in parallel, so I didn't get to join yours here uh, for the lunch sessions. But from what you're telling me, it is the revisiting of the challenges we're facing in the field where we have a first test that's easily available, has some pitfalls, but is readily uh, implementable in many settings. And you mentioned the automated implementation in labs that will be very helpful for non-hepatologists to risk stratify and refer. And I, I agree and I'm aligned with you on the value uh, as it's been shown in many guidelines. So I think that's an important message here again. And I'm not sure how the discussion went in the room, but I think albeit all shortcomings, in particular, if you do a FIP4 repeatedly, I think you'll be in the end able to identify the patients that will need referral and further workup. Louise Campbell. Can I ask, Laurent, because your work's legendary in this, let alone uh, all of the advancements now in litmus and things, whether or not we looked or considered beyond liver-related mortality? We look at liver-related mortality as hepatology experts, and it's a small amount of all-cause mortality. Should we be looking further downfield? Not necessarily all population screening, but there's a very good session that Phil Newsom did a few years back that pulled up some slides for the UK, Germany, and France on figures that were based on Ubeer's work. And within that, when we only looked at liver mortality, we were looking at a population of just over 500,000 people. But when we were looking for the ones that we don't look for, we don't see them as a cost for liver. That was 28.8 million people and a cost of 45. billion against those with liver-related issues, which was 7.7 billion for anybody over the F2 category. But if you translated that with US costs that were done at a very similar time and the same populations, when we talk about F2 and above, we're talking about a population in the UK of just over half a million people. However, and the cost of that was about 7.7 billion a year, whereas we are not looking for the 28.8 million people who cost healthcare 45.7 billion who are developing cardiovascular disease, heart disease and poor liver related health. We're waiting for them to get further down the line and we don't consider it effective. So, 
it was a case of how broad do the NITs need to be to go beyond just liver fibrosis and we need a little bit more of mash and marzals really and this cardiometabolic effect. Louise Campbell. Uh, you're right. I mean, so far, the NIT are effective, especially for spotting advanced fibrosis. So that is F3, F4. As for NASH, there's been many attempts, including on the imaging side and on uh, the circulating biomarker side, and none of them are really satisfactory. So more recently, there have been attempts of combining or providing composite score, such as the, the FAST score, that was uh, the first one, but now there's the MAS, the MEFIB, MASF, so many score. And uh, the endpoint there is at-risk NASH. So basically, the inclusion criterion for current trial with a NAS uh, score above four with one item of each and F2, F3 fibrosis. So to me, the issue is they are not all as well validated. Basically, the most validated is the FAST. We have a very recent meta-analysis that has just been published in gut with uh, around 5,000 patients and basically confirming what has been shown in the, the initial paper in the, in the Lancet Gastro. And you always end up with around 30% of indeterminate results with a dual cutoff strategy. The NPV is better as usual than the, the positive predictive value, the PPV, because the PPV is between 60 and 70%, so not completely satisfactory. But still, I think in the context of trial, it allows to hopefully decrease, sorry, the screen failure rate. But this is in a different setting. And again, once using NIT, context of use is critical and people tend to forget the context of use. I want also to stress that most of the studies we have on NITs come from tertiary referral centers, where the pretest probability, that is the prevalence, let's say, of advanced fibrosis, for instance, or NASH, is much higher than in the general population. So usually between 20 and 30%. Whereas if you're targeting the general population, including at-risk patients, it's no more than 5%, between 1 and 5%. And this has a very important influence on the performance. Even if you're using a, a test with, nine, uh, let's say, 80% sensitivity and 80% specificity, given the prevalence going from 5 to 20%, you end up with a high NPV, let's say for, let's take FIG4, for instance, that can be close to 98%, but the PPV is less than 20%. And if you're using the same test in a different context of use, that is, for instance, a liver clinic, then you reach maybe 50% or 60%, but still you have 40% of patients that may be false positive. So coming back to my initial point, these tests like FIP4 are very effective to rule out let's say the 70% of patients at risk who do not need to be assessed in a liver clinic. And another advantage, not only FIP4 is cheap and widely available, but you can repeat, let's say every year or every two year or every three year, this we can discuss. And of course, if it gets elevated, then you can start from uh, restart and refer your patients to uh, for further evaluation. Then, of course, you need to deal with the poor uh, predictive positive value and the concern about an over-referral to the liver clinic. I have to say that so far, I haven't seen the tsunami. I'm still waiting for the wave. Maybe next year with a new treatment coming will be a different situation. But so far, I haven't seen the wave. And now, back to Roger. Roger. 
We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with coverage of the FDA's two-day NIT workshop. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and enjoy the last weekend of what is the summer season for most of us in the Northern Hemisphere and the winter for those in the Southern Hemisphere. We'll see you back next week. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.